Uh, welcome to the Sugar Science Podcast. Our mission is to highlight and connect researchers in the type 1 diabetes space. I'm Monica Wesley, uh, founder of the Sugar Science and a host for today's podcast. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Giovanni Amaibo, and uh, he's coming to us from Italy, and he is uh, one of the um, you know, important um, founders in uh, the company, Enthera, and he's going to talk to us about you know, its, uh, its history and what's going on with Enthera and um, what's ahead for Enthera. So welcome, Giovanni. Thanks for joining us. Um, oh, uh, I wanted to, um, I guess I just wanted to start off with, uh, you know, what, um, you know, can you give us, a, you know, I guess a, a little bit about yourself, how you personally became interested in type 1 diabetes and autoimmunity at large? Yeah, so thanks. Um, thanks for inviting me. So I'm an immunologist by training, uh, and uh, uh, I did my uh, postdoctoral uh, uh, training in the United States uh, at uh, Harvard Medical School, uh, working uh, on uh, stem cells and uh, autoimmune conditions. Um, so I became interested in type 1D uh, because it's a quite uh, interesting mechanism of uh, an autoimmune disease where the environment and the genetics cooperate uh, for, uh, during the disease development and progression. Um, so I was, uh, for several years, the chief scientific officer of a Swiss biotech, uh, in which I was responsible for the preclinical and the clinical research programs uh, in the autoimmune disease settings. Uh, and I became uh, quite expert in uh, developing uh, biological inhibitors for specific pathway. So when I joined Entera uh, two years ago, uh, I knew that there was a big challenge uh, in front of us uh, because we were working, uh, uh, the company was working on uh, a novel science that sometimes uh, can fascinate the investors, but is also can also scare uh, some like, uh, you know, old school uh, investors that um, they are uh, like uh, uh, not really confident uh, in investing uh, in new things because there is high chance of uh, failing. Um, mm-hmm. So oh, I know that there was a big challenge, in, uh, but there was also a big potential um, because uh, um, there is something that is not clear yet in the development of the disease. And this is the reason why the patients, they don't, still don't have access to effective treatment. Um, so what we have done so far, and Terra was funded uh, in 2016, and uh, um, based on uh, a landmark discovery uh, made by Paolo Fiorina, that uh, you may know. Yes, uh, we know him. He's fantastic. Yeah. So he, he was uh, he, he was the person working on this pathway originally. Uh, then, of course, you know that uh, uh, all the academic professors need. Uh, a company to transform their research program in a pharmaceutical product. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are not experts of drug development. And uh, of course, this was the perfect uh, match uh, between me and Paolo because he provided the know-how on the science, on the new science, and I provided the expertise in developing uh, a pharmaceutical product. Yes. So, 
we generated several uh, inhibitors of this pathway, and uh, we understood that uh, this pathway was uh, strongly um, associated to the cell death occurring uh, in the uh, type 1D patients. And the blocking of this pathway was not only preserving uh, the um, uh, beta cells reservoir that is still active uh, in, the in the new onset patients, but we were able uh, in some way to restore the original beta cell mass, at least at preclinical level. Uh, and we speculate that this was possible because the, re the receptor that acts by um, triggering uh, the cell death is also expressed on progenitors on, of beta cells. Mm -hmm. That is an argument that is still debated at the moment, which is this progenitor and uh, how it acts when uh, becomes active. Uh, but the fact are this, so our data demonstrated that by inhibiting this specific pathway, we were preserving the beta cell mass that was still uh, around in these animals, and uh, we were able to increase the beta cell mass. So this can happen only in two circumstances. Proliferation of beta cells, that is also another uh, debating uh, argument in science, or uh, differentiation, differentiation of new progenitors to novel uh, beta cells producing insulin. Can you talk, that's, uh, that's fantastic. Um, can you talk a little bit about the pathway? How did um, you and the team come, uh, or Paolo, um, come to, start to look at this pathway? I mean, why, how did he identify this pathway as something to um, pursue? Yeah, so um, he identified that uh, um, among the dysregulated ligands uh, that can be found in the serum of type 1D patients, there was uh, uh, one specific uh, that was quite interesting for several reasons. So the name of this ligand is IGF-BP3 and is a member of the insulin growth factor binding uh, members family. Okay. So um, why this pathway is interesting? So first of all, because IGF-BP3 is known to bind IGF-1 and IGF-2, that are two critical hormones for the life of beta cells, and uh, is known to protect IGF-1 and IGF-2 from degradation in the bloodstream. But like uh, nobody like noted that in, the, in type 1D patients, and then we found also in IBD patients, so patients suffering of Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis, these, uh, the levels of IGF-PV3 were dramatically increased. Uh, so the idea that these could like not only like bind the IGF-1, but there was a strong um, hypothesis that this ligand could engage other receptors acting solo in absence of IGF-1. Mm -hmm. And uh, Paolo performed a nitroput screening, identify um, the TMEM219 receptor uh, that was not known until four or five years ago and has been demonstrated to be an unconventional apoptosis receptor. 
So we believe uh, that normally TMEM219 is uh, implicated in the normal turnover of the tissue during the aging of the cells. And it okay. helps to like uh, uh, replace the um, aged cells with the new one. But during uh, a dysregulation of uh, his ligand, is basically associated to a massive apoptosis of the target tissues that is our best cells in type 1D and uh, uh, intestinal stem cells in Crohn's disease patients. So the first evidence uh, and why these two category of conditions are associated is because uh, patients with a long history of type 1D, they develop uh, um, a condition named the diabetic enteropathy that is associated to a chronic inflammation of the gastrointestinal tract with the progressive destruction of the intestinal stem cell. That is exactly the same mechanism of action that can be found in the Crohn's disease patients. Mm -hmm. And that's why we believe that these two conditions could share the same um, key uh, path pathogenetic pathway behind the mucosa degeneration. Then for type 1D, it was even more interesting because we found that IGFPP3 becomes dysregulated in subjects that have high risk to develop type 1D. So not only type 1D patients, but in patients that, for example, are positive for autoantibodies against insulin or GLUT4, and in general are twins of type 1D patients or relatives. So it means that this is a very early event in the disease development. And if targeted on time, it could in some ways prevent the disease onset completely. So not yeah. only like a treatment, but also a prevention in patients that they could develop eventually type 1D because they have a, a familiar association with so are you, when you look at the structure of IGF-BP3, do you see that it, is, um, it has a different um, you know, architecture, a different you know, chemical structure in these types of patients? Or what's different about the IGF-BP3 in these people? So uh, the, the only things that we found so far is the levels that are dysregulated. So the, uh, the amount of protein in the blood of these patients is different. We did not find any mutation in the ligand. We are currently investigating potential mutation in the receptor. Mm. So the, because we speculate that, the, can I, I mean, since type 1D, they have very different outcome, right? There mm -hmm. are patients that they still produce insulin for years and some patients that they show a very aggressive condition mm -hmm. with the destruction of the entire beta cell mass that is very quick. So we hypothesized that in some patients the uh, TMEM219 receptor could be activated much more easy compared, compared to other patients that they don't have this kind of mutation but we did not identify yet this mutation and we are currently investigating, thanks also to this NPOD uh, that is a biobank created by the JDRF for all the uh, scientists and companies that work uh, in the type 1D 
um, science. And this is like uh, a, a very great uh, opportunity uh, because they give uh, access to the scientists to all primary tissues that would be very difficult to uh, collect. Yeah, it's very, uh, that's a very important point. Um, so uh, have, you, um, have you guys entered clinical trials then or how is that moving? So uh, now we concluded our preclinical analysis obtaining very robust results in vitro by using primary tissues of patients and also in vivo uh, with the different uh, type 1D models. So now we started the manufacturing of the, um, the, the molecule in order to obtain a clinical grade product that can be tested before uh, for the toxicology studies and then uh, um, as soon as we can, of course, in the patients. Uh, for this particular uh, type of uh, pharmaceutical product, we want to discuss with the authorities to uh, be allowed to investigate the, um, the efficacy and the safety directly in the patients. Since there is no drug approved on the market for these patients, we believe that uh, uh, the, uh, the authorities would be uh, like more uh, uh, you know, friendly from this point of view in yeah. order to accelerate to develop the development of an eff effective treatment for these patients that they have a poor outcome and a poor quality of life, as you know. Yes. So in order to fast track this, um, you know, these uh, trials, will it be better to um, do these trials in the U.S. or in Italy? So um, this is hard to say. This is hard to say. Um, of course, the most important thing is that we will interact with both authorities because, uh, of course, we are interested in developing uh, the, the pharmaceutical product for all the patients. Mm -hmm. So don't have uh, uh, a privilege from no, no territory as a privilege. This product is for the patients. So of course we will interact with the, the FDA and the EMEA trying to put them on the same table because there is a procedure named parallel scientific advice in which you can discuss the development of the drug with both authorities. And we hope uh, that we will be able to find a good compromise in running uh, the clinical trials in both territories with the same uh, uh, endpoints. Okay, that's great. Do you have a timeline in, in place? Sort of a rough timeline? So, yeah, of course we, uh, we believe we have like, uh, um, and we are working uh, uh, really hard to make this happen, to uh, start the investigation of the product in the patients uh, in less than two years. Um, and uh, eventually, uh, if we will obtain uh, the uh, like statistically relevant results, then we will propose the authority to go directly for a pivotal trial after the phase 1A. Uh, and this would allow to have an accelerated development uh, also in terms of commercialization of the, of the, the, of the molecule. Well, that's great. You know, we recently interviewed um, Anil Bouchon at UCSF, and he's talking about, um, you know, kind of a, uh, a new approach, a new way of looking at things. You know, he's talking a lot about the senescence that's happening in the beta cells, the pancreatic beta cells, and that it's actually the senescent beta cells that don't get cleared that drive the 
the disease that drive the response of the immune cells to sort of start attacking the pancreatic, um, you know, islet uh, cell mass, which is a, it, it's a, it's a different hypothesis, a different approach. But I mean, how would that, would, would that um, theory or that, that idea work in with what you're seeing at all? How would you explain that? Using so, your paradigm with, and, and talking about senescence in driving an immune response in the pancreatic islets. So you know that uh, uh, the islets of uh, uh, a type 1D patients are really under stress by several uh, uh, factors. Mm-hmm. So um, there is a cytokine storm that is putting under attack the beta cell mass. So there are like different type of response that probably subset of beta cells population are able uh, to activate. So, um, of course, the most important one for uh, uh, the the progression of the disease is the the death of the beta cells. Mm -hmm. uh, um, I mean, is no, at least so far, what the people believe is the beta cells do not proliferate or only in uh, specific circumstances. So the most important thing is to try preserve as much as we can the beta cell mass. Then I can't exclude that there are other uh, mechanisms behind the disease, but I think for me the most important thing is to preserve and uh, hopefully restore the beta cell mass with, uh, with the new cells. So if there is also uh, a subset of beta cells that go through senescence, I would be okay if we are able to restore decent levels of insulin in these patients. And how, okay, and then I guess, uh, you know, the sort of the million dollar question is, say that you, you're able to give this, um, this drug once it's developed, and um, you're able to basically this is to a patient who already has had type one for a few years, then the beta cells are able to survive. But how do you, how do you call off the dogs of the immune system, right? Cause the immune system has already been primed to attack the beta cells. So how do, how is, how, how do you think um, that will be handled? So, um, yeah, this is very complicated questions. Um, of course we have some data and I have also my opinion about that. So first of all, uh, you know that uh, what we found with, other, with uh, our product uh, and why we were so successful to attract the attention of the investors, that we look at the autoimmune disease from a different perspective. So the majority of the company are focused to target the immune system, mm-hmm. trying to modulate the immune system, because they believe this is the only trigger of an, an autoimmune condition. So what we found is that when, with our regenerative approach, we restore the original structure of a specific tissue, in turn, we were able to see a modulation of the immune system. So in other words, when we repaired so quickly the the, the tissue that was impaired or destroyed by the immune insults, in turn, there was a decrease of the inflammation and also 
decrease of the autoimmune attack because in absence of pro-inflammatory cytokines, also the immune cells were uh, in some ways going in other part of the body. So this is the first thing that, uh, uh, so our product alone could already modulate also the immune system. Of course, since we want to be very quick in restoring uh, the beta cell mass and uh, prevent the, um, or uh, like modulate the autoimmune attack, probably we will also conduct a trial in combination with the mild uh, immunomodulator. So this is possible okay. uh, in order to give uh, uh, the, the, uh, the best opportunity to the patients to, to recover. Um, in terms like of uh, a long history of type 1D, uh, of course this is much more complicated, but uh, in the literature has been demonstrated now um, uh, extensively that uh, women with a very long history of type 1D and with undetectable C-peptide levels that are, is a metabolite of insulin, endogenous insulin, during the pregnancy, they show with an increase of the C-peptide. So it means that in the body, there is still a primitive progenitor that can become beta cells. So, and when this be like, you know, comes out, we want to hit this with our, with our compound, expanding the beta cell mass, even in these patients that have one or two cells that are producing insulin in a specific circumstances. So we have just now to understand how to find out where these primitive progenitors is hiding in the patients with the long history of type 1D. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. And then would you say that, um, you know, when people go back into the honeymoon state, you know, once their blood sugar is corrected, they come out of DKA, the blood sugar is, is, is corrected. Uh, they go into a honeymoon state. Would you say at that time, does anyone know whether or not these, um, that honeymoon state is driven by the progenitors, by the, by new cells? Well Possibly, possibly. I mean, uh, you know that when, uh, of course, honeymoon patients are uh, patients that are uh, newly diagnosed, right? Mm -hmm. So that for me, the honeymoon period is strongly associated to the ca capability of that body to respond to the immune insult. So is it responding, uh, making, proliferating the beta cells? or differentiation of progenitors into insulin-producing beta cells. Mm -hmm. So these are the patients that probably um, like, uh, will be the best responders to our product mm -hmm. because they have a strong capability to repair their own tissues and we will give them, like we will add something that will hopefully like, preserve uh, also in uh, like uh, in the following period the, mm -hmm. the beta cell mass so we want to make this on a on a moon period permanent with our uh, uh, compound um, yeah that might be the best point of entry right for the for to, to treat people of course yeah i agree and then with the with the just circling back to the pregnant um situation it's a, it's almost an immune protective space right because at that point, uh, you know, um, women are secreting the HLAG, 
uh, in the placental uh, trophoblasts, and you wonder, you know, if that higher level, that HLAG, that for a while that was a real theory that HLAG was conferring some kind of immune protection because it's found in the in the eye in a protective immune protective space, and it's found in actually in pancreatic beta cells too. So there was some thought like, oh, this HLAG is really important um, to create immunoprotection, um, but uh, I don't know. I don't know how that might even come into play. I mean, if you were to regenerate, you, you know, once once type one diabetes has happened, right? The cells are all leaky and everything's you know out there for the immune system to to respond to. But if you regenerate a new cell like you're talking about, then it would be there with its um, HLAG. I mean, it it would be intact, and maybe that maybe that uh, having the HLAG and being intact will be enough to preserve it and, and like you say, keep it um, cloaked from the immune system. Yeah, of course, this is um, it's absolutely uh, possible. Of course, like for us as a company, we want to understand specifically who are these players mm. that, you know, in the pregnant woman, woman make these happens. So we want to find these factors and make these available for all the patients, yeah. especially for the pediatric population that probably is the category that uh, suffer even more of these mm -hmm. conditions and uh, are very difficult also to manage because they go to school and like the family really suffer for this yes. situation. We, we want to make this available to all patients. It's not easy because during the pregnancy, there is really a storm also of hormones happening. So there are several molecules that, um, in principle, could uh, initiate this phenomenon. Uh, but I think we, we started well. So we have a good starting point now. Uh, we know how to preserve beta cells and uh, to restore uh, capability of progenitors uh, to restore the beta cell mass. So I think that uh, uh, very soon we will move also in the long history type 1D patients. Yeah. I, the one uh, last question for you is, do you think that, um, that this, uh, this treatment, this molecule, will be effective in those that are diagnosed early, say in the, now they're you know, two-year-old, three-year-old, versus those that are being diagnosed at the classical sort of growth period of 13, 14 teenage years? Do you think it'll work similarly? So um, it's difficult to say. Uh, what is known, of course, that uh, younger uh, patients, they have a, um, a higher capability of regeneration. You know, this is true for all the tissues. Uh, so uh, during the aging, uh, they lose uh, some of this regeneration capability that of course in the old population is completely lost for some tissues. So of course uh, it is true. Um, it, there is also uh, of course some uh, paper in the literature that associate to the aggressiveness of the condition to an early uh, age of the patients. So we need to understand uh, um, how to use the best, the at our best, the regeneration capability of these young patients and modulate as soon as we can the immune attack. So I think the combination of these two strategies would be highly beneficial 
for these younger patients. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I guess I would say, is there anything else you would uh, like to share with us today, Giovanni? This has been absolutely fascinating. Um, we're really excited about your, the company, about your approach. And um, I, I think, you know, I think that uh, we're, very, we're very interested and excited to share this with our readers too. Um, I guess, you know, is there anything else you'd like to share? I think we are, I want to thank you for the invitation because, uh, I mean, for a, before to be the CEO of the company, I'm a scientist. So to share my science and the progress we are making uh, on this condition with the patients that suffer of, uh, the, of type 1D, it's like uh, uh, give me even more enthusiasm uh, to make progress and speed up on the development of effective treatment. Well, as a, you know, my own daughter has type 1, so I have to also personally thank you for all your hard work and the, the, the excellence um, of the science that has brought you to this place. So thank you very much for speaking with us today, and we will we'll be in touch. Thanks, Monica. Great. We, we wish you all the best. Ciao. Ciao. <laughs> Bye-bye.